Hi guys and welcome back to Just Keep Swimming. This is episode 4 of my new-ish season, season 2, where you guys get to share your stories with me and my listeners. And the reason I started this season was because I wanted to get your stories out there and have your stories heard. Because I think talking about people that have passed and your loved ones that have gone, it's really important to share their journeys and share your stories and your experiences with others out there. Because it might, it might just help somebody which is one of the reasons why I'd started my podcast originally. I was, I think, a year into my mum passing and I felt like I had nowhere to go. I had nowhere to turn to. I had no one I could share my experiences with. I had nobody that had shared a similar experience to me. And I found that really, really difficult, which is why I started my Instagram page at jks.1985. Um... I started my Just Keep Swimming page for that reason. I felt lost, I felt lonely, and I felt that I needed someone to talk to. And that is the reason why I started what I was doing. I ended up setting up my page and then I started my podcast and I was able to share my journey with you guys. And the response was really nice. And I thought it was my kind of therapy. Um... And I found it really, really useful. And I hope you guys do too. And I hope you guys are able to listen to my story and listen to other people's stories and actually feel that you're not on your own. Today, I had the privilege of speaking to a lovely lady called Laura, who sadly lost her mum to a brain hemorrhage. She actually, in between the two months you know, where everything was going on, actually made some sort of miraculous recovery where Laura actually thought that she was very close to losing her mum. But sadly, her mum had another setback and Laura shares her journey, her experiences about her special relationship with her mum and what had happened and how she coped with it all. I hope you guys enjoy listening and I will see you guys on the other side. Take care. Bye-bye. So, hi, Laura. First of all, thank you for taking some time out of your day to share your story with me and my listeners. Could you, first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, My name is Laura, and I live in the United States. I live right outside of of Philadelphia in Pennsylvania with my husband and my two young boys. Um, I work as a speech language pathologist during the week. And, you know, luckily I have my summers off to spend with my family. Um, And I'm a, you know, a daughter without her mom. So that's what brings me here. Thank you. Um, So, you're here because you lost your mom. So could you tell us a little bit about her and like what she was like and what you, you know, what you remember of her? Sure. Um, so my mom, her name was Judy and she passed away in August of 2019. So just about I guess two and a half years ago. Um, She was absolutely 
just the most wonderful person. You know, she had a smile that just lit up the room whenever she walked in. She had so many friends. She just had the kindest heart that you could ever imagine. Um, you know, my mom and I had a really, really amazing relationship. And I'm so lucky that I'm able to say that because I know that's not the case for everybody. Um, I do have two older brothers, but there's a pretty significant gap in age between my brothers and myself. So about 10 years. So, um, you know, my brothers were at a completely different point in their life when I was born. So it just kind of made my mom and I grow, grow really close. Um, you know, she, I guess in today's standards, not as much, but you know, when I was born, she was a little bit older to have a baby. So I think that that just kind of, while I wasn't an only child, I grew up kind of just, you know, by myself with no other siblings around the same age. So it brought my mom and I much closer than maybe we could have been. Um, you know, she, she was my confidant. She was my biggest supporter, but she was also somebody that, you know, she always, she always told you the truth. You know, sometimes it wasn't always what you wanted to hear, but my mom was always good to, to give you, to give you what you needed to hear, which was, which was a blessing. So. so you said your mom Sally passed away in August 2019. Um, could you tell us a little about what had happened um, and just around that time, just what you were feeling and, you know, your experience with it all? Absolutely. Um, so for a few years before my mom had passed away, she had developed a cough. Um, it would come and it would go. It would come for like months at a time and then go away for months at a time. She had seen every specialist she could be to. She went to, you know, her regular doctor. She went to pulmonology. She went to cardiology. Um, and they couldn't quite figure out why she was coughing. And then in June, yes, June of 2019, she said, you know what? I'm just going to go get one more chest x-ray. She went to get a chest x-ray. And they found um, a few small pulmonary embolisms, uh, so like small blood clots in her lungs. And they had said to her, you know, at the hospital, we're going to put you on this blood thinner and hopefully that will clear it up. Now, other than that, my mom had never, ever, um, she had never been sick in her whole life. She had never been in a hospital except when she delivered babies. And so all these doctor's appointments were kind of out of the norm for her. So that was June, the end of June, 20, 2019. Um, she had taken the blood thinners for about two days and um, my children and I, we had gone to see a movie. And when I got out of the movie, I got a phone call from my dad. I had about seven missed phone calls from my dad. And he said, you know, I think your mom had some sort of reaction to the medication. Um, she fell, but, you know, we're in the ambulance and she's talking, things seem okay. But if you could meet us at the hospital, that'd be great. So, you know, I sent my kids to the babysitter and I headed to the hospital. Um, in between that time, by the time I got to the hospital, my dad had called me again and said, you know, something terrible happened. They're not quite sure. Um, but you need to get here immediately. 
And when he called and he told me that, um, you know, the panic in my voice made me realize like this, this wasn't just a reaction to the medication. So I met my dad at the hospital. And at that point, um, I wasn't sure if my mom was alive or dead at that point. Just, he kind of just said something terrible happened. You need to get here. So my husband whisked me off to the hospital. And when I arrived, um, my dad had told me that my mom had an aneurysm rupture in her brain. And simultaneously, when the, or when the aneurysm ruptured, it caused her to have a massive seizure. And because of the seizure, my mom vomited and um, severely aspirated. So she swallowed everything that she had um, vomited and it went into her lungs. Um, so this is kind of, this is a pretty detailed story. Um, That's so fine, go ahead. When she, when she aspirated, uh, her lungs were in very, very bad shape. She had severe, severe pneumonia and due to the brain aneurysm and all of the other medical complications and all of the sedatives they had to put her on, uh, my mom had, my mom was then in a coma. Um, we spoke that night to the brain surgeon who had said, all she, all she kept saying was, your mother is very, very sick. Your mother is very, very sick. Uh, which is, it's, it's hard to hear. I could hear her in, in her voice, you know, this isn't good. This could be it. Tonight could be, you know, the last time you see your mom alive. And I, along with my father, the two of us were there. My brother, my one brother was in California. My other brother was in Canada. So the two of us were there, my dad and myself, and we had to make the decisions what we were going to do. And we decided to, you know, give her a chance and to do the brain surgery, which would coil her aneurysm. Um, so my mom made it through the surgery and during the surgery, in order to let her brain swell, they had to take a big piece of her skull off to, to give her brain uh, room to grow as it swelled after the surgery. So that was a little bit jarring knowing that that was happening to my mom and there was, you know, there was really nothing I could do about it. So luckily my mom made it through that surgery. Um, and after she had the brain surgery, really her biggest hurdle to get over was the pneumonia. She, her lungs were severely, severely damaged from the aspiration. And the doctor had said, you know, she may never wake up from this coma. And, you know, if she does, she may never be the same. And, but the first thing we have to do is kind of heal her lungs. So every day was, you know, how many hours can she tolerate being in certain positions? And sometimes it was only for minutes at a time. Uh, and so my mom ended up being in a coma for a few weeks and then they transferred her out of the hospital to a long-term care facility. And um, about a week after being there, she had started to move her body. So at this point, up until this point, she was kind of on a paralytic. So she wasn't able to move anything in her body to help heal her lungs. They actually had had her on her stomach for 
a long time. Um, if you're in prone position, it, it takes the gravity off your lungs and it just kind of helps heal your lungs. So the paralytic was wearing off. My mom was starting to move her body. You know, the doctors, they warned us, you know, your mom, your mom might never, might never speak again. She might never eat again, all of these things. And, uh, it's hard. It's hard to make those choices for her when she doesn't have the voice, you know, and she did, she did have, um, you know, a living will to kind of tell us her wishes, but you know, the living will stated, if I'm in an end stage of life, I don't want, you know, kind of to be kept alive by machines, but we didn't really know if she was in the end stage of life at that point. We didn't know, you know, what her cognitive functioning would be. We didn't know if she was going to have the ability to heal. So we kind of did what we could to give her a fighting chance. And after about, I guess maybe four or five weeks, it, it showed that my mom was starting to wake up. My mom was starting to follow commands. Um, she did have a, she had a, a trach at that point and she had been on a ventilator for the entire time, which I know um, in this time of COVID is a really sensitive subject for some people. So my heart does go out to everybody who is dealing with their family being on a ventilator because I know it's not easy. Um, but after after several weeks, my mom was able to wean off the ventilator. You know, she was showing that she did have the strength to kind of go on and another week later, she probably started to try to communicate with us. I was trying to talk to her. I talked to her all the time, even if I didn't know if she was hearing me. And I just kind of said, you know, mom, I've been here all day. I'm going to go, I'm going to go see the boys. And my mom started nodding. And I was like elated. I was like, oh my goodness, you heard me. Um, not only did you hear me, but you understood what I was saying. So, uh, that definitely told me that, you know, her cognitive functioning was, was there. It was more than kind of anyone expected it to be. And over the next week or so, she started to try and try and speak and they were able to cap her trach. So it could give her kind of her voice back a little bit. And during this time, they decided that they were going to transfer her to a rehabilitation facility, which was a really great option for her. We didn't even know if she would ever make it to that point. We didn't know if she'd be strong enough for rehab because uh, here in the States, you have to be able to tolerate like three to four hours of straight therapy a day, physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech and language. So we were so excited that she was making those strides to be able to tolerate the rehab. Um, so they transferred my mom to rehab. And when she got there, she had said, you know, my stomach kind of hurts. And the doctor's we're like, okay, well, you know, we'll get some tests run and we'll get some scans and we'll see why your stomach's hurting. And it was hard because even though her cognition was coming back, she still did have a brain injury from her aneurysm ruptured. So it was hard to know with her at that point, what her pain tolerance was. Sometimes it was hard to know, you know, if things were real or things were fake. So you know, she still, she was having some hallucinations. And so if she said anything hurt at that point, we kind of had to just take it as, yes, this is painful for her. 
whether it is or it's not, we have to believe that it is. And so we took her to the hospital. And when we got there, they had done a scan and found out that um, she had a developed a lot of blood clots in her legs. So during the whole time where she was in her coma and while she was in the long-term care facility, she couldn't really move her body at all, which caused her to develop a ton of blood clots. They had put a filter in her leg to make sure the blood clots didn't move from her leg and move up, you know, to her lungs or her heart or anywhere else. But the filter kind of filled up with blood clots during that time of her being paralyzed. And at that point, we just, we had no idea. Um, so that was, that was in August. So at this point I had almost been eight weeks and the doctor told us that we really only had two choices. Uh, our two choices were that we could, uh, she could amputate her legs or we could put her on a blood thinner. So when I initially, when the first aneurysm had ruptured, I had asked the doctor, you know, did the blood thinner cause the aneurysm to rupture? And the brain surgeon assured me, no, it did not. But, you know, I'm not a doctor, but I did a lot of research. And um, and by research, you know, I did Googling of medical sites to see, you know, it can, taking blood thinners, you know, can cause massive amounts of bleeding in other parts of your body. So when the doctor said our two choices were to amputate her legs or put her back on a blood thinner, we were between a rock and a hard place because we knew that the blood thinner really wasn't a great option for her. But at that point, it sounded like the lesser of two evils. So we put her on a mild, a less, a less amount of blood thinner than initially. And for a few days, she tolerated it well. And then one morning I got a phone call from my brother that just said, you know, mom has vomited again. We're not quite sure why, but they're rushing her to the hospital. And um, so this was in August, like I said, this was toward now the end of August, 2019. And uh, my mom had had a, what the doctors called a massive inoperable brain bleed. So my two brothers and my dad, whether it's lucky or not, luckily we're, we're with my mom in the hospital. At that point, we were able to rush to the hospital. And, you know, like I had said prior, my mom had to have a, a big part of her skull removed. And at this point it was still, it still was not, was not there. And the doctors had said, you know, if she had her skull intact, she would have died immediately from this this brain bleed, but because she, she had a portion of her skull removed, um, it had given her time. It had given us the time to get to the hospital. And so it was surprisingly, extremely peaceful. I guess at this point, the doctors had told us, you know, your mom is, your mom only has a short, a bit of time left. And, and, it was hard because she, she was still having like these reflexive movements in her body. You know, her feet were still moving, her hands were still moving. And I just kept thinking like, how is this, how is this happening? Like she was doing so well. She went from, you know, she probably is going to die immediately to, 
okay, now she's waking up. Okay, now she's talking. Okay, now she's moving. Okay, now she's eating. Um, and we had, we just had so much hope that my mom was going to kind of bounce back from this huge, you know, brain event that she had had in June. And now it was like happening all over again. And there was really no hope in sight. So those parts kind of a blur, but you know, we were there and I was able to kind of hold her hand while she passed away. Um, and that part's, that part's hard because I know that people that aren't able to be with their loved ones when they pass, that's really, really hard. That's really hard for them. Um, but when you are there, when your loved one passed, it's, it's one of those things that you never unlive. You know, I'll never... I can't ever get that, you know, the smell or the sounds or anything out of my head. So I am glad on one hand that I could be there for my mom and, you know, help her hold her hand to help her transition. And, but on the other hand, it's, it's really, really difficult some days, you know, I guess, I don't know if it's post-traumatic stress, if that's the technical term that it would be, but sometimes it feels like it's, it's, it's PTSD, you know, it's, I can't, I can't ever not imagine that. So, so yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of medical, it's a lot of medical ups and downs and ins and outs. And it definitely wasn't like a very linear, a linear thing. Um, but that's her story. So, yeah, you you know your mom sounds like a a fighter. She sounds like she went through a crazy time during you know June and August, and she fought and fought and fought. And like you said, you had all this hope and stuff. And God, it must have been devastating to yeah for her to have gone through all that, to fought her way through, to do what she's done, and then this happen. You know it's, it's really sad. Yeah. It, uh, we had already kind of figured out, you know, when mom gets home, how can we change the house to make it, you know, more accessible for her because initially and maybe forever, we're not sure she might have had to been, you know, in a wheelchair and, you know, we went through all of the different scenarios of, you know, when get mom gets home, when mom gets home, and luckily, you know, my family only lives about five minutes away from my parents. So I was going to be able to help her and I was going to be able to take off time from work to kind of be there to support her. And then, you know, it just kind of all, it went away just, just so quickly. Yeah. It's, it's sad. I'm sorry that you've had to deal with such trauma. So obviously you've been through a you know a crazy journey um but how has your life changed since losing your mom Oh gosh I feel like it's changed so much um I have been really trying to um I guess not find meaning behind her not find meaning behind her her death but I guess find meaning for myself to to kind of have a purpose 
you know, in the beginning, I couldn't even get out of bed. And it's hard. You have two small kids. You know, you need to be there as their mom too. But all I did was mourn my mom. And so, you know, I kind of got to a point where I said, Laura, you need to, you need to find a purpose. And for me at that time, I needed to like physically move myself, move, have a reason to put one foot in front of the other. So I, uh, I'm a runner and I decided, you know, I'm going, I'm going to run for my mom. And the purpose that I had found was I was going to raise money for the brain aneurysm foundation, which is based here in the States. And I was going to run a thousand miles. You know, we measure in miles and um, I was going to run a thousand miles and raise money for brain aneurysm research. And to me, that just, that felt like I was doing something for my mom kind of to help, help others. So maybe they wouldn't have to, to deal with, you know, kind of what I had to deal with. Um, so that was, I guess, one way that my life has changed. Uh, another way probably is I feel like I am much more empathetic. I've always been, I've always been a fairly empathetic person, but now going through this journey, I feel like my empathy has grown leaps and bounds for other people who are suffering, you know, whether it's, whether somebody has just even maybe a cancer diagnosis or somebody has passed away, or, you know, maybe they're even mourning the loss of a relationship of someone who hasn't died. I feel like my empathy for them has, has really grown dramatically. And I've been trying my best to kind of be there to, you know, support people and let people know you're not alone because, you know, this is, this is a lonely time. Yeah, agreed. Definitely very lonely time. Have you ever tried counseling or therapy? I have. Um, so she passed, like I said, she passed away the end of August and I knew in my heart that I needed, I needed help kind of immediately. I knew that the grief was going to just overwhelm me, you know, and I was hoping it didn't overwhelm me kind of to the point of no return. So I needed, I needed to be active or I needed to be, you know, proactive in, in getting the help I needed. So I did see a, a counselor who was pretty, helpful, but I think the most helpful thing for me was I joined a grief therapy group. Um, it was called Grief Share, and it was a fantastic group of individuals who had all different types of of loss, uh, you know, all different types of death loss. And, you know, some people had lost their, their children and some people had lost their, their father or their mother or their sister. And it was really helpful to me to see that there, there were other grievers out there. Again, like the community, the community has been the most, the most therapeutic for me. So it was a different type of therapy. It wasn't just one-on-one therapy, but I thought the group was the most beneficial. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you found that. I think it's important to find, you know, routes and avenues to kind of 
help navigate through your grief and which is one of the reasons why I joined Instagram and I'm sure you know you know doing my page and stuff I think it's it's just really helped me so I, I'm glad you know I'm glad you've been able to do that through your grief therapy as well yeah Instagram has been wonderful you know anytime something pops up and they're like oh I lost my mom I'm like follow follow because <laughs> it just makes sure. me feel a little bit better yeah definitely i'm i'm the same as soon as yeah i see a post i'm like yeah i'm i'm, I'm on that uh-huh. <laughs> definitely. Mm-hmm. um how do you cope with your grief if you're you know i know you do the grief grief therapy and stuff but how else on a day-to-day do you cope with your grief it, it really changes it changes day to day um i'm not good with idle time idle time is where it really gets me and sometimes, you know, I can get lost in that idle time. If I, if I don't get up and move, I'll, I'll get, you know, sucked in to, to the grief. And, you know, some days that is cathartic to just sit there and cry. But for me, it's just, I have to, I have to keep moving, you know, just like your, your name says, just keep swimming. I just have to keep kind of going on. Um, sometimes it's, you know, just brush your teeth, Lara. Sometimes it's take a shower, uh, you know, go run an errand. But for me, trying to move forward is is probably just the best way. Any advice that you'd give to someone in your position? I think the biggest thing for me is kind of like I said, is to be active um, with your grief. Do the things you need to do. Try everything, you know, maybe maybe grief group doesn't work for you, but don't give up on yourself. Um, there are outlets and there are supports for you. And I think if you just keep trying and trying, you'll be able to, to find something that works for you. It could be, you know, it could be exercise. It, it could be joining a choir. I'm not really sure, you know, for each person it's different, but there are so many different outlets for you to, to release this feeling that is, it's really unlike any other type of sadness, you know, cause there's, there's no end. So you just have to keep moving. Is there anything else that you would like to share? I'll leave the floor open to you to say anything you want, whether it be about your mom, whether it be about your grief, whether it be about your life. I'll leave it open to you to share something. I guess I'm sure most of those who are listening to this are familiar with grief, but I guess just that to know that every day is different and that's okay and you can have good days and you can have really, really terrible days, but that's okay. And that's kind of how grief is. And in the beginning of this, I just, all I wanted it to do was go away. I just, I wanted that feeling to be gone. I know I didn't, I didn't want to have this gut wrenching pit in my stomach for the rest of my life. And while those those first, you know, first several months, I guess, were absolutely horrible. I did kind of learn through this, like, 
this pain isn't going to go away, but I'm going to grow and I'm going to be able to grow around the pain. Um, and that's okay. It's okay that it's going to be there forever. Going to grow around the pain. I like that. That's a nice, um, nice way to end, I think. Well, thank you, Laura. Thank you for sharing your story and your journey with me. Um, thank you. For I wish you all the best and lots of love to you thank you so much and thank you for doing this and being able to give you know people like us this this outlet and the support no problem thank you take care